and welcome to the Keep Running podcast. My name is Rachel Stringer. And I'm Amana Rai. If you're tuning in right now, then you're probably a runner, thinking about becoming a runner, or you're just intrigued to hear what our guest has to say. Right, let's get into this week's episode. Our guest today is on the exclusive six-star finisher list. Having completed his sixth world major marathon in Boston in 2019 with a super quick personal best time to date of two hours and 51 minutes. Our guest is one of the most dedicated runners we know, who has progressed his running over the last 10 years, knocking an incredible one hour and 51 minutes off his time. A journey and a decade of amazing highs and lows, a journey where perseverance and resilience have been key. His story has something for every runner to take away. He inspires us both daily, and so it's with great pleasure to welcome Amrit Gatora to the Keep Running podcast. So, we have our guest joining us today, and we like to start by asking the following questions. We have five of them for you, Amrit. Mm-hmm. So the first one is, why do you run? Uh, I think one. Of the, I think I've thought about this actually in terms of what it means to me. I think essentially why I run and why I've been running for such a long time because I think it makes me feel free, uh, free in a way that I can. Whatever part of the day it is, uh, whether it's in the morning or in the evening, um, I can have that period of time for myself and it's an element where I can control whether it's for half an hour whether it's for an hour whether it's for two hours whatever the time I can control whatever happens during that time and I think that's one of the reasons why I think I love running sort of the way it makes me feel more more than anything in terms of that is something that no one else can influence when it's just me outside on the road. I love that it's just basically part of your life so our second question is what is your greatest running achievement? Obviously, I think the obvious answer for me is obviously the six star um, that I got in Boston. But I think the caveat to that is actually, I think there was a key period from actually getting to Boston that I think is one of the biggest achievements that the whole qualification of getting the BQ. And because that was the only reason why and the only way I was going to go to Boston was on the back of a BQ. And I think the way it happened, and obviously it sort of culminated in Boston that time, I think that is that period of like that eight months or so was probably the best achievement I think it was it's not it's a surreal achievement to be honest I don't I don't probably know the weight of it then maybe others do perhaps because I just think yeah it's it's done move on to the next one type thing and it's strange it's strange to say that because it's it's a it's achievement that a lot of runners that I know go for and um it's a key thing that people work towards and it's this this whole running world it's um, people who are, who are doing the majors, they were all after that. So I think it's it's an incredible thing. But I think for me, I was just sort of, it's done. Like, what's next type thing in a way. You are so casual about that. I know Amana and I are sitting here going, we're so jealous. We'll talk in depth about those six stars in a minute. Okay, question three. Best piece of advice you've ever been given during your running career? There's no substitute for hard work. I think um, you cannot fool yourself to being fit and trying to achieve something that you you haven't put the work in to achieve. Um, I think when I when I first started running, this is like in the very very early few weeks. I remember bumping into a guy in the park. He was training someone. And he said to me, "No pain, no gain." 
And I never saw this guy again. He was like this oracle type figure. And I was just like, what does he mean? Like, and then only years and years later, I understand what he mean in terms of you got to put the work in and you sort of to, to get where you need to want to achieve things and sort of you can't expect no one to do the work for you. And I think that's, I've learned that through working with different people and sort of running different races that um, the fitness that you gain and sort of the, the achievements that you want to get, you actually have to sort of knuckle down, grit your teeth and get stuck in and sort of be able to sort of get yourself to those heights that you want to achieve. Definitely. And who inspires you? In terms of a running world, um, I've known Ben Parks for a few years and I've met him a few times. Um, I think his journey is not the same as mine, but we sort of started off in the four hour bracket for marathons and he's sort of gone down to 225. And um, hopefully if I can follow the same path one day, then um, I'll be super, super proud to sort of achieve anything close to sort of what he's done in terms of times wise anyway. And um, I think it's, um, he's a bit, he's a, everything he does, the way he conducts himself, I think is pretty, pretty inspiring for me. For sure. Yeah, Ben's obviously on the kind of London running community scene as well. And finally, the fifth and final question. Do you have a quote which basically inspires you or kind of brightens up your day? Number one quote I always think of when it's like a when it's like a dark day and you've got to go out and run 10 miles is consistency is key. I think it's quite a simple quote. Um, I think it's what drags me out of bed sometimes or even like a day after a long day at work. I often ask myself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And I just picture what if it's a particular race that I'm going for, if it's a particular something that's coming up in the calendar, I'm doing it for that. I'm doing, doing it for that because someone else out there is probably training as hard as me or if not better, then they're trying to go for the same, something same at the same race that I'm doing. So I think being consistent, and I think another one on the side of that is probably like training is like the graft and then the race is the audience. I always think that, the race day is, is just something that everyone has to deal with, but it's the months and months before, whether it's you're training for a half marathon, 5K, 10K, um, the stuff that happens before then is the one that you sort of value the most. And I think that's just the one thing I value the most in terms of running and marathon training and half marathon training, whatever. I think that block is what makes or breaks your race day. I agree with that. And I always think of running the London Marathon as your lap of honour for all the hard work that you've done over the last 16 weeks or 16 months. So yeah, definitely agree with that one. So what we really want to know is where did this all start? Where did where did you first pick up running? So basically, I started running as a reason, first and foremost, to lose weight. So I was about 18, 17, 18. And I remember finishing uh, my A-levels and I missed PE from school. I missed that running around thing, being with your friends. And I sort of, in my in the summertime of like 2005, 2006, I was like, I need to do something. I need to sort of like physically do something. And I was, I remember weighing myself in like that summer. Like, you know what? I don't like the person on the, that's coming on the scales. I was like, what the hell? Like, is that me type thing? And then I started going to the park. And I think I was initially inspired by Kelly Holmes. She got the double Olympic uh, gold, and I think that sort of introduced me into running. You can go and run, and she was doing it with a, some sort of a gritted smile on her face. And I was like, it's a bit weird. Like, she seems to be enjoying it. It's like, maybe I can try that. And obviously, with Paula Radcliffe as well, winning the London Marathon, I think that was them two gave me a vision of, okay, this is, there's running out there. So I initially went to the park, thought I'll do one lap of the little of the track. I'll come back tomorrow and do two laps then three laps, then four laps. And then I thought I'll do one lap of the whole park one day. And it literally just started from there. And I enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought 
hold on, hold on, this is quite good. And then I started to get a pair of shoes and I started to track my runs and then I started to see all the metrics and the data on the screen. I thought, you know what, this is something I quite enjoy. Um, it was during the summertime, so the weather was quite nice. Um, and then this is like back end of 26, 2006. And then in 2007, I applied um, to run the London Marathon through a ballot. Can I just stop you there? Why London straight away? Why didn't you go, I want to do a 5K or a 10K? You went straight in there for a major straight away. I, initially, I did a I did a, a Nike 10K, uh, which was North London versus South London. This is like, I think it's in 2007. I think Seb Cove was representing North London. Paula Radcliffe was representing South London. You basically run your 10K um and then whoever clocked the most miles wins and get the bragging rights type thing there was a lot of that going around at the time but then london for me was i'm a london boy so it had to be that one i'd seen paula radcliffe win the race i'd watched it on tv um i thought i'm gonna chance my luck because that was the only big race i think i knew of at the time and i thought i'm gonna give it a go and you never know we see what happens and i got the uh the fateful drop of a magazine in the door and I was like this is actually going to happen so it was it was crazy to think that I actually got in on the first attempt and that's when it all became a reality that okay I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go. Did you train at all for that like did you actually put in much effort? I did I, 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 I remember running a lot and I sort of um trying to gain as much sort of experience from other people that I knew in like the office because I was a uh, this is a placement year during my when I was at uni and I was working in London and there was a few runners in the office and they'll give me tips and stuff, but I had no idea what they were talking about. Like I'm going to tell you honestly, I was just like, okay, it was just like so much stuff to try and pick up. And did I have the right shoes? Did I have the right kit? And I, I think one of the telltale signs for me looking back on that marathon and how I trained was that I probably had no idea what I was doing. I was just going out for survival. Uh, some of my training logs are like four hour long run. And uh, it's just mad to think that I was doing that and, for me at the time, that's what I thought was the right thing. And it was the right thing because I hadn't, I wasn't a long distance runner. I wasn't someone who had done back-to-back marathons or done achieved time. So I had to start from like the ground up to know what was my limit and what I could achieve and what I could do within my life situation. And I think, yeah, I put, I put working into that. I, I did the, as much training as I think I could have getting a plan from like the charity that I ran for. So I think, it was as much training as I could possibly fit in. So for us, what really stands out is the progression off the back of that first London marathon. So I think you ran 4.42 in London and then in Berlin, you went and ran your first sub three hour marathon in 2018. So can you tell us how it felt from going from 4.42 to sub three hours? Because sub three hours is a dream that so many people have, which is so hard to achieve. I, th- I think um, that the period of time is is ten years between the two of them, which is which is crazy. I think at the time of running for forty two, I had no ambition of running sub three. It wasn't even in my radar. I couldn't even see it if I was to if I was to sit there and go back in time. It only sort of came about after probably I hit three thirty, and that was in two thousand and sixteen. So that's eight years of doing marathon because I was doing a marathon a year I did in 2008 then I didn't do one until 2011 because I was at uni and then I sort of did one per year I did London per year so it was like gradually cut off cut off cut off and then you start to open more doors that okay maybe I can do this if I change this and if I change that so I think it's one of those things in terms of how it's happened it's like 
small doors have opened over the years and then eventually you start to see those bigger goals that you never saw a few years ago but to run the sub three was an incredible feeling I think I knew it was going to happen on the day I'm not going to lie and not not from an overconfidence point of view but I had trained my ass off in terms of that summer and I just went in there knowing it was going to happen like I just had to deliver on the day just be consistent stay calm and stay focused and it, it will be it, it, you'd get the time because it was just I was in this place where I was loving running I was loving the journey everything about it I was just like this is great this is really really good I really really enjoy it and I want I'd love for everyone to feel like that because then you can go into races you can go into sort of um anything you want to sort of on the calendar so you can actually go in and think you know what I'm actually gonna do this today because it feels one one thing to try and run a time like that I think you gotta believe you can do it rather than hope you can do it I think that's the key thing because if you can have a confidence in yourself rather than someone else trying to inst- you can other people can instill it into you but you have to be confident in yourself as well at the same time you're talking almost like a bit of an elite athlete there kind of a tunnel vision and that that moment they talk about don't they when everything just goes so right for them that they know they're going to perform but um just a quick word and I guess then how different training was for your sub three compared to when you were running 442 like what specifically were you working on in those couple of months in that summer that you kind of spoke about so i sort of started working with a new coach and we sort of picked up on like in the running side in march 2018 so one thing i did do which probably not a lot of people know about is i actually i changed my diet that i cut out a lot of stuff which was probably not doing me any good and i sort of looked um at sort of having introducing more healthier food and like having good fats and um just eating a lot better and fueling myself better for running so i was more tailored towards performance and that helped me develop speed that helped me recover quicker that helped me to do all those little things in the background that everyone tries to do and but and sort of try to do really really well and i sort of understood it a little bit better because my coach I was working with Justin he's a nutritionist at the same time so that sort of helped that he was looking after everything was under one umbrella and in terms of the training we we had a little bit more volume we worked a lot more on speed short distance to get better at the marathon you got you need to have good 1k speed one mile speed 5k speed so I think that was very much key and I think we started to go to parkrun a lot start to do that every couple of weeks as more of like a benchmark type thing see where you see see where you are in training see um where the, the the sort of the training is peaking and going down and sort of adjusting training from there so we looked a lot more at volume threshold work um a lot of work at running a marathon pace like to run a sub three you need to be able to hold 414s and 415s so if you have to run that you need to be able to do that on a long on a sunday long run can you do that and then come back on a tuesday run a speed workout can you then do volume on a wednesday it was just about building consistent volume um in a sort of a nice healthy sort of way and having those weeks where you sort of pick up speed and then you have a down week and then you sort of have another block of three or four weeks so it was very structured very consistent and um i think that helped me along with races set out during that sort of period of months to sort of build confidence that you know i can actually do that and i think that was the key thing into breaking through because i was there i was close because i had this it was my this was my third attempt trying to do it and it finally happened on the third one so i think the two failed attempts beforehand were beyond my control. Perhaps I wasn't quite believing that I had it in me because when I look back, I think I was overshooting 
during those times, but you, you've got to go through it, don't you? You've got to sort of put your put your racing hat on in a way and got to go through it. If it comes up short, at least you'd learn something. But then the third one, yeah, it was kind of like, okay, now's the time. Now's the time to do it. And it was nice because the world record was broken that day, which was pretty cool. So that was just like another tick in the box that I was there, ran the same course as the fastest marathon runner. So that was, that was, that was pretty awesome and special. So it sounds like Berlin was pretty special for you. And it sounds like you made a lot of changes in order to be able to run that sub three hours. But then you went back to Berlin a year later and you knocked seven minutes off your sub three hour time. That's incredible. You ran 2.51. How did you manage that? Well, I, essentially I got fitter. I got, I got, I got better at running. And, um, I think the fitness was there when I did Boston, but I raced Boston, not how you should race Boston. And I went off too quick. So the fitness I, I had achieved in January, February, March and April, I kind of carry picked it back up in the summer and then I sort of worked on it. But with the training for Berlin last year, we did a lot more threshold work, a lot more threshold work on the, on that Tuesday. And then on the Wednesday, we had a heavy, medium, sort of steady, sort of long run, talking like 13, 14 miles, just on your feet, nice, easy pace. And then as the weeks sort of progressed, I was getting a lot more fit. Those runs were becoming a little bit more easier. And then we had more sort of work with the tracks. So I started running with Track East on a Thursday night at Mile End. And I'd been running on track on my own with on my own whilst they were doing their sessions, but I, just, I actually joined them for this block of training for like two, three months. And it was fantastic. It was really, really good. I think that was one of the key things and like one of the key ingredients for me to sort of get faster. Cause I was training with guys who are running like 245, 240s. And like I was able to keep up with them on certain, certain weeks. And that gave me a lot of confidence that I can actually do what they're doing, but they're a lot quicker than me at the marathon. But it didn't mean that I was any different. It was just our goals and perspectives were different. And, week on week I sort of got more confidence I was getting fitter and quicker and along with the sort of the long runs the key session that I took away from that block of training for Berlin in 2019 was the long run we did a lot more uh work at marathon pace talking like 10ks 15k at marathon pace sometimes there were double long runs like you do 20k in the morning 20k in the evening um both broken up into different sort of um things that you're doing like a 10k sort of steady and then you've got 10k marathon pace and you come back in the evening you do another 10 steady 10k and then you do 1k repeats so there was loads of different aspects into what made it better but i just essentially the key thing was i worked on my fitness that i got from the sub three i kept it from the boston period and then i sort of just progressed it and we sort of adapted the training to how i was feeling don't get me wrong there was times during the berlin training where i had a i had a week completely off because i just felt knackered felt so tired and i was just doing it like gritting my teeth type thing so um being reactive and sort of adapting to the situation i think is was the key thing that we sort of we picked up on i mean i think i need you as a training partner and i think i need justin as a coach but we'll uh, discuss this after the podcast when did hunting for the majors become a goal because you've obviously done all of them you're the, the six star finisher but when did you think that's what you wanted to do as well as obviously chipping blocks of your time um so in 2014 i didn't run the london marathon i got married in the end of 2013 i didn't i chose not to do london just because i was a newlywed and i thought you know what maybe it's not the best thing to do like just to get on the back get in the doghouse straight away type thing so i thought i'm gonna give it a break i'll do berlin fancy a 
weekend in Berlin. That was one of the reasons also why we was able to travel as well. I think it was a travel aspect that we could sort of go to these cities and you could sort of run a marathon as well. Probably not the best thing to do as a, in your first year of marriage, but it seemed to work okay for me. And um, that was then after that, I realized there's six majors like everywhere you was everywhere I was in Berlin it was like these six majors and I was like oh, what are they like there's three in the US there's three in Europe two in Europe and one in one in one in Japan and then from there I sort of I've got two of them right now how do I get to the other one like logistically how do we do it and then I didn't I didn't go and do another one for another 18 months later but it was then in 2014 in Berlin uh, my first Berlin actually that I was more aware of okay Let's, let's 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 see what they're about let's see if i can try and do them and sort of see what i can sort of how far you can go so it was it was that moment then so just talking about berlin because i think this is probably one of your favorite marathons so one of the things that you once said to me is that you treat berlin now as a business trip you go out there you get the job done and you come back can you tell us about that in terms of it being more like a business trip it, it has become like that and it will be like that in this year and the years after that and I think that's the key thing I think you've got to handle it like you're going to work and I think it is a job type thing it's like you're going to do like a Sunday job and I think uh, so one of the key things of trying to get it done and doing it everything in your control I think it's about control as well because I'd, I'd hate to feel like I put in months and months of work for it to be ruined over like something which I had no control about uh, on like a Saturday food poisoning or like going somewhere which you're not familiar about or meeting people which and at a restaurant which you don't feel totally comfortable with and I think having the ability to sort of say you know what I'll see you after the race after the race we'll celebrate we'll party hard whatever and before then just everyone do their own thing and then we'll see you after the race I think that's that's the key thing so just tell us about being a six-star finisher and the feeling when you crossed the line in Boston to get that six star, because that's what people dream of, and you did it. It was, an, it was a surreal experience. It still is, to be honest. My family actually came out, my two sisters came out, and my niece came out, because they, want, they wanted to sort of be there in the crowd to sort of see me do it. And it was lucky, because I did actually see them on the finishing straight. But I think the whole, I think the biggest thing for Boston was, aside from the six star, is I think it was the, it was the way I qualified because the qualification period ended the day after the 2018 Berlin Marathon. So I had one day to put my qualifying time in. I ran the sub three on that Sunday. I remember on the train back to the airport, I put the Boston application in and thought, okay, let's try because I had had six and six minutes, 40 second buffer uh, under my age time. And I thought that was on the limit. And 10 days later, I remember going, to my local park and I checked my checked my phone on the way back after I finished the run. I had the email which was the acceptance and the cutoff was five minutes something. So I literally qualified on the Sunday, applied on the Monday, 10 days later I'd uh, got the application. And then the whole period of going to Boston, I think because it was such a obsession and a dream for such a long period of time, I'd watched the 2016 Boston Marathon, 17, 18 and then the 19 was my my turn to go. And I think even along the route, I on the back of my of my singlet I had um given I was given the by Abbott the I'm running for my six star so people were coming up to me in the middle of the race patting me on the back because they knew that I would this was my six star race so I was just like this is just crazy like this is actually happening for me because I've seen so many other people do it through Instagram and friends that I know that this is actually my time and it felt that I'm going to enjoy it I'm first and foremost I'm going to 
um, run a sub three. Worst case, worst was that's my worst case scenario. I need to run a sub three because when you when you run the first sub three, you got to back it up and you got to do it again and again and again. I think that's the key thing. Like uh, once you do it once, you got to keep doing it. So I think I went off um, too quickly in Boston. I, the course is punishing more than anything, and I think. Once I got to a stage where I knew I was comfortable enough to come under sub three, I sort of smiled a lot more and I sort of enjoyed it. And um, those last few turns, was it was magical. I don't think I'll ever forget that feeling. And yeah, it was crazy. It was a, it's a surreal experience even to now, even now a year later. When you cross that line then at Boston, how do they know to give you the six star finisher medal? Do you get it then? Because obviously you just get the normal medal hands over your neck. But I would be going... Come on, where's this medal? I need it right now. I'm desperate to have my hands on it. So a few weeks before Boston, actually a few months, they um, they put it out there through their social media channels that if you are going for your six star at this particular race, let us know. Let us know you're coming. Let us know that you're going to be running the race and your bib number, etc. Then when you go to collect your bib at the uh, expo, you go to the specific uh, Abbott World Marathon Major stand and they stick it like a QR code. I think it is on the bottom of the bib. So they can recognize you straight away before you've actually seen them and said, where's my medal? Like, get me in that tent and get the photos done. So I think they know it straight away. And then you obviously get your Boston medal and then you get taken to the to the other other tent where they everyone is just super friendly. And then you finish on Boylston Street, literally the tent for the uh, the Boston Marathon medal is literally straight within walking distance. And then you get taken behind them where you normally just walk past it it's just like a tent with the massive uh flags etc there's people holding six star flags saying if you are six star follow this way and they're treating you like a celebrity i felt like a celebrity walking around getting the medal and then straight afterwards people come up to you like i had they were just like man that's so cool can i have a look at your medal um and i remember the previous new york marathon the guy next to me who finished he'd got his six star and he said to me oh do you want to have a look at the medal because i was looking at it i was like i actually don't want to touch it because like, i feel like some bad luck or something i'm quite superstitious like that and i remember seeing it and i was like people were doing it to me this time and i was like you can go for it like have a look and you think you you're, as you're walking you're clanging the medals are clanging and people are looking at you and it just feels like you feel like a celebrity i think that's the biggest thing i can say the feeling is like a vip like even the, the hours after boston you're walking around with your medals because obviously you're going to wear them for the next 10 days or whatever it is and like people will ask can i get a photo with you and i was like yeah sure like okay like i'm just a normal person like but for them there's something that they're aspiring to and i think that's the biggest that's the coolest thing i think about getting it that is so cool i want my six stars so much now oh my god but obviously you finish boston you get this super cool medal but what other perks are there of being a six-star finisher number one, you get uh you get you get obviously get recognized as being a six-star finisher where you fit in the in how many people done it from your country when i did boston there were during that race the five thousandth person was going to cross the finish line don't know who it was um but I was within that sort of range, whereas now there's like 6,600 so in the whole world and there's like 670 in the UK. So out of all the runners in the UK who have done the majors, there's only 670, which I found pretty amazing, which is pretty cool. That's such an achievement. I it's love mad. it. And I think, I think one of the coolest things is that whenever you go to another major, your name is up on the Hall of Fame. So at that particular major, whichever it is, one afterwards, they have like a massive sort of board hoardings of names and people who have done it from particular countries and your name is up there and it will always be up there at every other race every other major wherever city is wherever country it will be there so i think just go down into like a record book and i think that's that's pretty cool that you did that and that you saw you sort of achieved that i think that's the biggest perk and sort of 
the biggest sort of memorabilia type thing that you can sort of take away that your name is up there. Did you get any merch as well? I got some socks, got a hat, got a jacket. Uh, which I actually I'm not actually worn yet, and I've had it for eight months, which is which is mad. What? Um, um, but the medal I actually put it on the wall now because I didn't want it. I didn't want to have it sitting in my drawer because a long period of time all of them was just sitting in my little my my underwear drawer type thing, and which is probably not the best place. But then I thought, you know what, I need to stick them up now. Now that I've got them together and that sort of sits in the living room now, which is pretty nice. I saw you've put them in frames. I love that you've done that as well. You sound superhuman in many respects. You're on the six star list. You've run a sub three hour marathon. You've several times, you've run 251, but actually you are very normal at the same time. You've got a full-time job. I do, yeah. I'm a uh, mechanical engineer. I work in aerospace. Um, so I think that's helped me in terms of the flexibility of my job to do the training. My manager's actually said to me, he's like, Obviously, you work in here and you work in the role that I do. That does it help your running life? I'm just like, uh, yeah, like I can come in at ten o'clock maybe on one day and leave at six, whatever it is, and do my stuff in the morning, or I can do it the other way around in the evening. I think that flexibility of my job and what I do for a living helps me sort of structure my training as well at the same time. So, also, obviously, you've run all six of the majors. Which one is the best and why? I think, I think probably Armani and probably share this is for me it's new york um i've done it three times i think it's it's on par with london in a way in terms of like the volume of people and like the, the noise but i think it's just new york i think the whole as a child seeing it on tv and going out there for your own and you finish in central park and you're on like a massive tour and the like, logistical effort of that race just love it i, I just love doing that race and then i think it's the most special feeling i think for me, it also occurs at the end of the year as well, where you've sort of done everything and in terms of running wise for that sort of racing season. And I just think it's so, it's so grand and like you sort of, Americans are very sort of warming to racing and like they're super, super friendly. I'm not saying that no one else is, but they're a bit more sort of um, receptive in terms of running and it's a, it feels like a more of a bigger deal out there. And um, the whole aspect of New York is just, it's incredible. I think every person, if they have the opportunity, should run New York because, um, yeah, you're guaranteed an amazing experience. I think there's certain parts of the course where you're sort of your hair stands up on the back of your neck, you get goosebumps, and there's like periods where it's super, super quiet in the bridges, and like you can't, you can only hear footsteps, no one's talking, and it's just, I think it's, you don't really get that in other races, and definitely don't feel like I got that in London. Hence why I think it sort of stands out more than anything as sort of as an experience from like the minute you get there to the minute you finish, even the day after. Um, it's up there with the best the best race I think I've ever done any, more than anything, even majors-wise as well. There's definitely something very special about New York and New York has a buzz during marathon weekend. You can't really describe it, I don't think. No, I don't think you can. And like, I think the expo is massive and like the whole thing of the national anthem before the start of the race, the gunshots at the start line, you're running up a bridge and you can see the whole of Manhattan. It's... it's it's just something, it feels like something out of a movie. And um, I think the last two times I've done it, it's been nice sunny weather, which has been really, really nice. So I think a lot of things go into it to sort of make it into sort of the grandest sort of experience that is. The movie marathon, New York in Amrit's words, right there. So the other question I have for you is about your wife. She seems incredibly supportive from what I see on your Instagram. I actually met her when we were out in New York. 
Um, and I just don't think there's many wives that you could drag across the world to watch you run. So can you tell us about her? Uh, I think none of my running would be possible without her. I think that's first and foremost, I have to give a lot of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes is priceless. I think that's element of like my moaning and my sort of ups and downs and things are good, doing good, things are going bad, your mood swings. I think having her support and sort of her sort of her love and all that stuff for something that I want to do and sort of push myself in. I don't think any of this would be possible without that. I think, I think it's a, it's a priceless thing. I think every runner needs, or every person needs support. And I'm lucky to have her in my, on my side and um, to have her in the corner. And I think the whole element of going abroad and seeing and running races, which, which has probably helped because some of the locations are fairly nice. And I think, She's back to me regardless. Wherever it would be, she would she would go and whatever it is I do, she would go. And I think that's the sort of foundations of a good relationship more than anything, and even better than it's um, it's a solid foundations of a marriage as well. So I think that's the key thing. But now without her, I I would not be sort of a six star finisher or even remotely the person that I am right now. Obviously, a lot of the majors, um, five I think out of the six are being postponed to the fall. How many of those are you doing? I am potentially doing three of them. I'm, poten- I'm planning to do. I'm planning to do. So Berlin for me will be if it. Hopefully everything is okay. It's going to be my A race. I think I'm going to. I have to go back and maybe have a block of training in the summer and give that another crack, and then hopefully legs permitting body permitting brain body everything permitting. Is this permitting? You know those business meeting the flights. Can you get them sorted out? Yeah, and I, hopefully I'll get to run London because I think I, I think I wanted to be a part of the 40th celebration for London. I think that'd be super super special. Um, and then I'm planning to then do New York holiday trip. <laughs> the holiday, yeah, celebration celebration run. Yeah, so celebration run because it's 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 quite nice because it falls actually ne- next year's New York marathon actually falls on my birthday. So I'm going to do whatever I can to run that race on my birthday and I'm going to treat that next year as the A race, I think, because I want to give it a good crack. And does that mean maybe you're looking to get what I saw on your Instagram, your long-term goal was two hours off your marathon from when it all began. So that would be 2.42. Is that achievable? Is that a realistic goal in your mind right now? Now it is. Now it is. I think once I broke three, um, from three to two forty-five, there's still quite a big jump. I mean, you've got to do a lot of work to get fifteen minutes from three fifteen to three. You, you've got to, you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to know what you're doing. You've got to put in a lot of work. But from two from three to two forty-five, it's a different level. It's take everything goes up a notch. You put more volume in the legs. You're out there a lot more. You're running a hell of a lot more. So now it's become possible because I'm sort of in the middle now. I'm at two fifty-one. So I'm, I'm gone away from three, but I'm closer to sort of. Uh, the 2.45 side. I think for me, I'd love to get that championship time to run London with the championship start. I mean, that would be an amazing experience. I think that's realistic, very realistic for for Berlin, hopefully. And then we'll see where that sort of leads in terms of next year. Um, but I think yeah, that is just the main thing is to go sub 50 and then 2.45 as well at the same time. I think it's possibility that it can happen. I think this break as well is going to do me good. I think that's the one thing I keep telling myself that this five weeks I've had not running. I'm not gonna lie, I'm I have missed running, but I haven't missed it. Com- like, oh my god, I need to go out and run today. And whereas I would would have used to, I think 
with the situation with everything is right now I don't mind it it's okay it's actually okay I can heal myself and allow my body to sort of have a bit of a break because I haven't in 10 years of running I've done three made three marathons every year for the past three years four years so this is a nice forced enforce sort of break and i think you can come back and reset and come back a little bit more stronger amrit wasn't actually meaning coronavirus he's actually injured at the moment if you guys don't know and you don't follow him so he's kind of nursing an injury hence the five weeks off not due to being kind of isolated due to the virus but if you don't follow him you should follow him for his world marathon majors inspiration is it true final question that you had no days off in 2019 True or false? I did have days off. I did have days off. But the whole thing with no days off was it was a commitment and a sort of persistence to doing everything I can to keep running. Phew! So I had no days off from running, but I did everything outside of the days when I was were having days off, maybe like a yoga session, like a gym session or whatever it was. I was doing those things in the background to make sure I had no days off from when it actually mattered. So I think... It's a spin on words in terms of having a complete running 365 days a year of running, but it's actually when I needed to run, I was able to run. And I think that's that having having that on the wall actually helped me a lot in terms of visualizing like, okay, I've done this, this and this, and it's just a nice sort of way of ticking off another day uh, onto a particular goal if it's, if it's in the future. And I found uh, the No Days Off on Amrit's Instagram account. And if you guys don't follow him, Amrit, what's your handle? Where can I find you? You can find me at Amrit Palgatora on Instagram. And that is my Instagram. And we'll share that as well. So you can go and find him because genuinely, I'm not even just saying this, you are super inspiring. On my run this week, I wasn't really feeling it. And I looked at your page. And I was like, get yourself outside, Rachel. And I ran, I think it was 6.57 for like six miles. I was like, yes, Amrit got me that. It was a pretty like rapid one for me. And I was like, I need to get another major. I need to get another star under my belt. And that was definitely down to you. So thank you so much for sharing what you do on Instagram. I think Amana will agree with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've given me so many tips the last, I think I would say we probably followed each other for about a year now and you've given me loads of tips, loads of tips ahead of New York. So yeah, personally, I'm really thankful for all of your experience and your wisdom that you can share amongst me and the rest of the running community. So thank you. No, I appreciate it. I think that's one of the beautiful things about social media. You see everyday runners and then you can sort of connect with them on Instagram and sort of give them tips and boost each other in a nice way. I think that's the really, really nice side to the running community that we have. Thank you so much for joining us and for telling your story. We can't wait to keep following you. But for now, we'll let you go and uh, keep running. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. I love that Amrit was our first guest. I think he was amazing and even better, Amana, that you met him on the plane on the way to New York for your second marathon major. Yeah, we'd followed each other for ages. So I was super happy that we finally got to meet each other. And so funny that it was on the way um, for my second world major. I find him so inspiring and I almost feel like after listening to him, I'm ready to focus on training and put the work in needed to run a sub three hour marathon. So yeah, I'm so inspired. But also off the back of hearing from Amrit, I've already signed up 
on the World Abbott Marathon Major list. I've put my one star in and I've got one star and five empty places next to it. But it's actually really motivating to even join that website and that group of people. So that's it for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you want to keep up to date with our running and our lives, then you can follow us on our Instagrams. Mine is at Rachel double underscore Stringer. And mine is at Amana underscore Rye. And if you want to hear next week's episode when it drops, then click on the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. And until next time, keep running. <laughs>